reading from the book of Philippians. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to do will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. For all who are visiting, my name is Paul. I'm the senior pastor here. It's a joy to have you join us today. Uh, I have the privilege of introducing who is going to share our message this morning. It's an old friend of our church. Uh, some of you know Erin well. Uh, she's stayed with us this weekend. Our family, um, I think she's shared with us probably 10 different times. She's like a sister, not only to Carly and me, but to many of us here. Uh, a little uh, introduction about Aaron. Um, grew up in East Africa, and so really multicultural in orientation. She holds an MDiv from Gordon-Conwell and a D-Miss, Doctorate in Missiology from Fuller Theological. She works full-time advocating for justice in the poor with IJM, a ministry that helps people uh, get rescued from the slave trade, modern-day slavery. And is that right? Yeah. And then she also works with the Fuller Theological Center for Spiritual Formation. And I learned another fun fact uh, this morning. If any of you use the Bible in One Year app with Nikki Gumbel, um, Aaron actually edited that and uh, was the founding producer of that and all the commentary for Nikki Gumbel. So um, she's very sneaky. She's very sneaky. Um, she's got a, the, the gift of joy. We all could use joy, amen. And so it's my honor to reintroduce and re-welcome Aaron Clifford to One Fellowship today. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Paul. It's great. Good morning. It's great to be with you. I love coming to One Fellowship. Um, I think it's been about a year and a half since I was here. We were trying to figure out the exact date, but I think it was about a year and a half. There was still a service in the garage downstairs was one of the options. We could also be up here. You know, that garage was kind of cool. There was like lights and I mean, the church did a good job with it. Um, so I haven't been back in a year and a half and it has been a busy uh, year and a half in my life. I got married uh, to Brian, who is sneaking to the back there. Um, we, uh, we met and married in a year, so it was very, it's, been, uh, it's been very productive and busy. Um, but we just got married in September, and so it's been really fun to have Brian come and spend some time with the Sorensons, who are such dear friends. And I said, come to Charleston. It'll be sunny <laughs> and warm. And uh, so there you have that. Um, yeah, so, we, uh, so we've had a great, exciting year of marriage. Um, I, so I'm 45. I got married at 45 for the first time. And so I had never bought a car with anyone. 
Um, and you know, buying a car with someone else, not for the faint of heart. Um, so we actually just had to buy our car recently uh, because we had something go wrong with one of our cars to the point where if we, you know, the repairs were more than it was worth, you know, it was that kind of situation. And Brian and I had never bought a new car. Neither of us had ever bought a new car. We were always used car people. And so we're both like in this new car, just like, don't do anything wrong to it. You know, I'm the person parking at parking lots, like way far away. So no one dings the side of my car. I've never been that person. I've always been the person with all the dings. So, uh, so it's a new world. Um, And I want us to use that analogy as we're moving into this passage where Paul is talking about the church. He's talking to the Philippians, right? And last week I loved um, this Paul, Sorensen's sermon last week on the passage right before in Philippians. Uh, He got to preach on this amazing passage, one of the most famous passages in the Bible called the Christ Hymn. And it's basically where it says, where Paul is encouraging the church to be like Christ, who humbled himself, right? Who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but laid down his life for others. And you also should lay down your lives. So that's kind of the message that you looked at last week was lay down your life for one another because Jesus laid down his life for you. So that's where we pick up this next passage. And as usually happens in the Bible, we're breaking it down into these verses, but it's really one long speech by the apostle Paul. So he's just said, be like Christ, you know, serve as Christ would serve. And now he's about to say, obey Christ, obey as Christ obeyed. But it's helpful to go back and figure out what it is that Paul is saying. Who's he talking to and why is he saying it? So in case you haven't been together for all these uh, Philippian sermons, in Philippians 1.27, Paul starts out his whole discussion with the church. And he says, only conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, whether I'm with you or not. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And why is he saying this to the Philippians? Well, the Philippian church was one of his favorite churches. It says, you know, in the New Testament, he loved this group of people. He loved this group of people. But they were a little off the road, so to speak. (laughs) They had just been given this new thing. We'll call it a new car. But the new car they'd been given was the church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, right? They were a new church. They were a new community, new Christians. And they had this precious car given to them, the body of Christ. And yet they weren't driving very well. (laughs) And so Paul has them pulled off to the road, so to speak. And we've all been on that road trip, right, where there's some bickering in the back of the car. And the parent says, if you don't keep it down back there, I'm going to pull over. I'm going to pull off this road. Well, in a way, the Philippian church was pulled off to the side of the road. Paul was with them, and Paul was saying, you've got to stop arguing. You've got to stop bickering. You've got to get back on the road for what you're called to do. So that's why he starts out the conversation encouraging them, live in a way that's worthy of the gospel. I've been with you. You know how to do this. You can do it. You've done it before. And let's get back on the road together. So that's where we pick up on this passage. So in the first verse, uh, Paul says, therefore, therefore. And whenever we see a therefore in scripture, we always want to go backwards. Therefore is basically like saying, because I just said, now do this. And so Paul's saying, because of what Jesus has done, because last week he was talking about what Christ has done, Christ's sacrifice, serve one another. Because of what we've just talked about of what Jesus did, now do this. And in these next few verses, Paul's going to give some advice. He's going to say, do this, but he's also going to say, do this in light of who you already are. So he's going to give them some commands, but he's also going to give them some assurances. Remember who you already are. Remember who you already are as a community. 
So therefore, because Christ was obedient, you must also be obedient. And he starts out with beloveds, dear friends, he says, beloveds. And that's how I want us to start this, this conversation this morning as we listen to Paul's advice, to remember that you are the loved of God. Whether or not it's your first time in church this morning or you're checking in online and you're going, I don't know about this church thing. Whether you come with questions or doubts, this is the perfect place to be to bring those to God. Whatever condition your heart comes in this morning to church, you are loved. You are loved by God. You are the beloved of God because you're a creation and you're made in God's image. So Paul's reminding them, you are loved. You know, much like a family in a car, you're fighting. We still love each other, even though you're really driving me crazy right now. (laughs) You're loved. So the conversation starts out, dear friends, you're especially loved by God. And he says, you're doing something right. So he says, obey now as you have always obeyed. In other words, he's like, you know, you've, you've done something, you've done this well before. I just need you to keep doing it. Uh, this, uh, this week, I was in Texas. I was visiting my dad because he had hip surgery this week, and for the second time. So it's been kind of a saga of his, of his hip. And so my sister and I went to visit him. My older sister's been married about 20 years, and she was reminiscing with my stepmother about some advice that my stepmother had given her before she got married. So right before she got married 20 years ago, she was having doubts about my, my now brother-in-law. <laughs> and she was just, they'd been fighting. And she called my stepmom and she was like, I don't know about this guy. I don't know if I'm going to be able to go through with this thing. We have been fighting so much. And my stepmom said, oh, well, that's because I've been praying for that. <laughs> she was like, what? My stepmom said, yes, I've been praying that you would fight. She said, because once you get through your first fight, your second fight. She's like, no matter what comes later, you can look back and go, well, we got through that, we'll get through this. (laughs) And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, you've obeyed before. Now this seems like a harder moment and situation to obey in, but look back, you've done it before. You can do this, I believe in you. Obey as you have always obeyed. And then he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is where I think Paul is saying, get back on the road. You're stuck on the side of the road. You're bickering. You're all kind of into your own story. You're all kind of in this independent, selfish place in yourselves, all in the church community. But you need to get back on the road because there's a journey God has you on, which is the kingdom of God. And it's bigger and better and brighter and more joyful than what's happening with you in the backseat of the car right now. We need you to get back on the road. So he says, work out your salvation. Now, this is a weird phrase, I think, when you read this. Work out your salvation. What does that mean? Isn't my salvation a gift from God? What do I have to work out? I think I just receive it, right? Well, yes, that's true. Salvation is a gift from God. It's given to us. It says it's a gift from God, not that anyone should boast. It comes by grace, right? Not because I'm so cool or not because I've obeyed God or because I'm the most loving person. The gift of salvation comes oftentimes in our most broken moments when we the least deserve it because it's by grace. So salvation is a gift. But what Paul is saying is much like when you're first given a car, first driving a car, my nephew just got his driver's license, you know, and the whole family's holding their breath. (laughs) They're all like, oh my gosh. Um, So he's getting in that car. He doesn't know everything about the car, right? He's got a lot to learn and he'll learn it over the years. And like that, salvation is a gift to us that we keep discovering. We've got to keep opening it up. We've got to keep understanding it. 
Keep seeking God in it. So Paul's saying, you've been given this gift of salvation, this gift of community. Keep working it out. Keep working at it. Keep discovering it. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And that your salvation is kind of tricky. So this is a bit nerdy, you know, uh, how our translation sometimes in the English isn't as good as it is if you can read the Greek. Well, this is one of those moments where we we get a little bit astray because it says, work out your salvation. Like you, Jane, you, George. No, it's actually plural in the Greek. Work out your church. So entire church, all of you, work out your salvation together. It's communal, which makes sense. Because if you heard this Paul's message, I keep getting confused between Apostle Paul and this Paul. When you hear, if you heard Pastor Paul's message last week, you'll know that the, all of what Paul is saying, the Apostle Paul is saying is, don't be selfish. Don't be independent. Focus on each other. So he's continuing in that vein. It's not your individual salvation. It's your salvation. Entire church. Work at this thing that you've been given actually to do together in community. The entire church had grown spiritually ill. And now Paul is saying to them, take whatever steps are necessary to restore yourselves to health and wholeness. Be willing to to play second fiddle, as Pastor Paul said last week. Sometimes the second fiddle position is the most important in the orchestra. Be willing to put others before yourself. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Last time I was here uh, at One Fellowship and I was down in that garage, um, we were, uh, I was speaking on my research, my dissertation. So I love that you guys are going to Kenya. Kenya has a huge place in my heart. I spent lots of time there. And it's where I decided to do my, my research for my doctorate on intercultural studies. So I chose this community called Mathari. It's a community in Nairobi, which is the capital of Kenya, and it's what we call an informal settlement, or what they used to call a slum area. So it's about four miles by four miles, and it's got almost a million people in it. So it's a lot of people packed in a small area. And physically, it's quite under-resourced. There's no plumbing, there's no electricity, you know, so no sewage system, no running water. And so what may look at first glance, as a place without a lot of resources, what they are rich in is faith. There's a lot of churches. There's a lot of Christians living in this community who have this incredibly strong faith. Even though they're in the midst of daily injustice, and even though they're in the midst of daily uh, suffering, their faith is so strong, they believe that God is good. They believe that God is with them. So that's what I wanted to study. I thought, why is that? Why is that that as a pastor in the U.S., I'm constantly seeing people losing their faith as they go through suffering? You know, God is not with me. He's left me. I'm all alone. God can't be good because this is what's happening to me. And that this community over here experiencing maybe suffering with a real big S (laughs) all of a sudden, but they have this resilience of faith. So I wanted to study that. So I went there to ask those questions. What is your theology of suffering? What can we learn from you? What can I learn from you as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And there's lots that I came up with, and that's why we talked about it last time, but I will just leave you with one thing, which was one of the most important things I found. As I asked them, where was God when you were suffering? And they each told me stories of suffering, loss of a job, an illness that can't be diagnosed, um, not being able to marry the person they wanted to, losing a spouse or a child. So very normal human stories of suffering, global stories that anyone could relate to. And yet I said, where was God? Was God with you or had God left you? And over and over again, 
no matter their age, no matter their denomination or their Christian background, they all said, oh, no, God was with me. Oh, God didn't leave me. God was with me in my suffering. Why? Well, I said, how did you know? How did you know God was with you? And a lot of times they would look at me like, aren't you supposed to be the pastor? <laughs> they were like, you Mazungu, which is white, late, white person in uh, Swahili. You Mazungu is very confused. Um, they say, I said, how did you know God was with you? And they said, he was in my community. God was in my community. Said God was in my community when I couldn't get out of bed because I was so depressed from having lost my spouse. God was in my community when I had lost my job and I had no food to feed my kids and people brought me food. God was in my community when I needed a loan. I needed a, a new job somewhere. I needed to finish my education. God was with me in my community. And I found that especially powerful for us as a church in the West because we are so independent. And we tend to put ourselves and pursue independence over community. And often I think when we suffer, we pull ourselves back. We go introverted. We go into hiding. And sometimes it's because we're ashamed of suffering. Maybe, maybe we um, unhelpfully think that as a Christian we're not supposed to suffer. Well, read First Peter. Come back to me. Um, but maybe sometimes we falsely think that as a Christian you're not supposed to suffer. So we're kind of ashamed of it. Or maybe we think, actually, people are going to be unhelpful to me. You know, as a pastor, I am an expert on people, and I can tell you, people are people-y. <laughs> people are real people-y. Humans be human, okay? And when you're going through mourning, when you're going through sickness, often people say crazy stuff to you, right? Like very unhelpful things to you. And I've seen it over and over again. So sometimes we pull ourselves back because we don't want to mess with all these messy people saying the wrong thing to us in the moment trying to fix it or saying unhelpful things. But I actually think what we end up doing is we end up cutting off the place where God is most trying to show up. Cutting ourselves off from the place God is trying to show up in our suffering. We say, God's left me. He's not here. And God's like, I'm, the, I'm knocking at the door. I'm that person who may be pretty imperfect in your church, but who's trying to help and who wants to be there for you. So that's what Paul is saying here. It's all about community. And we don't have to go all the way to Kenya to see this example uh, and to learn something from a church. This, this month, we're celebrating Black History Month in the U.S. and in Canada. And I've learned so much from the black church in America about what it looks like to, bring, to come together as community in the midst of suffering, to keep a resilient faith about God's goodness and God's redemptive plan when it looks like everything else is against you. So Paul here is saying it's about community. Work out your salvation together. Get back on the road, he's saying. There's a bigger picture here, a bigger calling of the kingdom of God. The destination is worth your unity and so much import, more important in the long run than your internal bickering. So fear and trembling, he says. Sometimes we read this and we're like, oh, this, maybe this is like an image of a scared person in front of God who's like big and mean and has a big white beard in a cloud somewhere, you know, and, or like going to the principal's office, you know, sometimes we have this false image of God as like a principal in your high school and you're going in and you're going to get in trouble or grounded or something. But that's not what this image is. The fear and trembling, those words are less about being scared that something bad's going to happen to you and more about awe, reverence. So being in the presence of someone that you respect being in the presence of someone that you think is really amazing, even in fact that you love. And just that sense that you have in yourself of like, oh, reverence for this person. 
One of my favorite uh, talk shows to watch, late night shows, is Jimmy Fallon. I don't usually stay up that late, but I watch it later. Um, And one of the things that I love that Jimmy Fallon does is he's often surprising just your average everyday person with a famous person that they really love. And, you know, I love that human experience of when they reveal the famous person, whether it's like a famous sports star or famous actor or something, and the person just freaks out, right, when they realize they're there. Sometimes he'll do it in a wax museum. And I can remember there was one where he had the rock, the rock with him. So they were like pretending they were like a wax museum. And these tourists were walking around and they were just like, oh, look, there's the rock. I love the rock, you know, blah, blah. And then they came to life. And when the rock came to life, this guy freaked out because he loved the rock. In fact, he pulls up his pants. He has a tattoo of the rock on his calf. He's so excited and he like starts to cry and he's shaking because he's so in awe of the rock. He loves the rock. So that's more the image here of loving something, being so in awe of something that you're trembling in its presence because you don't want to do anything wrong. Not so much you think that thing is going to do something bad to you, but you're worried about doing something bad to them. I don't know if any of you know the Enneagram. It's a personality assessment and I'm a two on the Enneagram, which is a helper. We're very other-centered, often to our own detriment. And so as a two, if I even think that I've slightly hurt someone that I love, I just like crumble. I'm just like predispositioned to not be able to handle like doing anything wrong to someone I love. So I get this image that Paul has of like work out your salvation in front of this God that you love, more worried about what I'm going to do to God than what God's going to do to me. But maybe you're not like that. Maybe your posture towards God this morning is actually one of anger. Maybe you are in a time of suffering and you're like, God, where have you gone? I don't feel you in my community. In fact, my community is causing me more suffering. These church people, I got to get away from them, you know? (laughs) Maybe your posture is more anger towards the Lord this morning. Or maybe it's apathy, you know? Hey, Aaron, when I sit in front of God, it's neither here nor there. Neutral. Neutral on the subject. And maybe that's something to bring to God this morning. So Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Get back on the road, he says, because the journey you're meant to be on is more worth it than your squabbles in the back seat. So then he says in verse 13, four. So this is another one of those times you stop and you look at the verses before. He says, so you need to do all this. You need to get back on the road, work out your salvation for, because. And what he says here is his reassurance. Get back on that road, but you're not alone. In fact, I like to call it, you've got a full tank of gas and Google Maps. (laughs) Get back on the road because you've got a full tank of gas and Google Maps. Paul says here, get back on the road because God is at work in you to will and to do for his good pleasure. God is at work in you. And that word work is actually the word energy. And Paul uses this word 18 times. It's only used in the New Testament 20, but 18 of them are Paul. And he loves this word. So the word work is actually the word energy. So he's saying God is inside of you. He's energizing you. In fact, the way the grammar works there, it's almost a name for God. You know how we have names for God in the Bible? El Shaddai and the all-sufficient one and all these great terms in the Old Testament. This, the way the grammar works here, it's almost like a name for God, calling God the great energizer. The great energizer lives in you. You are not alone You're not going to be the one that's giving the energy to this work of unifying as a church. You have a tank full of gas. The great energizer is in you. 
And as a child of pop culture, I could only picture like the rabbit, right? The Energizer bunny, like, you know, inside of you. And I have been accused of being that Energizer bunny once or twice in my life. I'm sure that's hard to picture. Um, So the great Energizer God is in you, giving you what you need for this work. You're not alone. In fact, the work is not really going to be done by you. You may put that car back on the highway and you may point it north, but all the fuel is going to come from God. And you've got the Google Maps. Now, I hesitate to use the illustration of Google Maps because I'm actually quite picky about this. You know, the great debate of Waze versus Google Maps, Waze being the other, like, GPS app, I am very partial to Waze. In fact, I can be quite rude about it if I'm in someone's car and I see traffic building up ahead. I'll say, are you using Waze? <laughs> are, you using Google, are you using Waze or Google Maps? So I'm quite pre- I prefer Waze, but I will say Google Maps for the sake of, of everybody else. So we've got a Google Maps in our car, as Paul is saying. And that Google Maps is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is directing the church. The Holy Spirit is taking this community that you have, Philippians, and is even more invested that you reach your destination than you are. And Google Maps, the Holy Spirit, will be showing you along the way where you're going. And the Holy Spirit does speak to us. God is a God who speaks. And if you're someone who says, well, Aaron, God has never spoken to me. God has never spoken to me. I wonder if you've got that little sound off on your Google Maps, you know? (laughs) Sometimes we can say to God, I don't think I want to hear from you. I'm not that invested in what you want to say or where you want to take me. I was driving a rental car this week when I was in Texas, and I, I also don't like to turn on the sound on my Google Maps, but I kept getting lost. I kept taking wrong turns because I wasn't having the sound on. I wasn't paying attention. And I think we can be like that in our life, both as a church corporately and individually, that we can turn off the sound and we can not be listening to the Spirit. You guys are starting Alpha, which is an amazing course. I've taught Alpha many times. And one of my favorite talks in Alpha is the talk on how to hear from God. How does God speak? So if you're curious about that, take Alpha uh, and hear how God speaks. But God is always speaking to us. So God is at work. God is at work speaking. And in fact, the word obedience that Paul uses has has two intentions. It means listen and do. Listen and do, that word obey. So he's saying, listen and do as you always have listened and done. Also, as Jesus obeyed, he heard what the Father was saying and he did it, right? So listen and obey. But to obey, we have to hear God first. We've got to listen, got to turn on that sound on our Google Maps on the Holy Spirit. So he says, listen and obey because God loves you. God is at work for his good pleasure. God is at work in your life and in your church, not because you're great. You know what? You're not great. I'm so sorry to tell you. (laughs) I mean, you are great. You're loved by God. You're God's favorite, but you're not great. Um, You're not perfect. None of us are perfect. God works in spite of that. God works because it's his good pleasure to work. God is not working in one fellowship because one fellowship is a perfect group of people right? Or because one fellowship is the best church in the world. God's working at one fellowship because God loves one fellowship, because it's his good pleasure. It's his good pleasure to change our wills, to help us make different choices than we've made before. Did you have one of those times this week where you just went, oh, facepalm, you know, that emoji, facepalm? I feel like I do that a lot to myself, just like, Aaron, you did it again. You did it again. You chose the thing you were trying not to choose. You did the thing again that wasn't God's will for you. 
It's God's good pleasure to work in us, to change us, to help us choose God's will in our lives. But it's often much more about surrendering to his love. Deuteronomy 7.7, Moses says, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love upon you and chose you. But it's because the Lord loves you. It's because the Lord loves you. So if you're feeling imperfect this morning, God is still working. That great energizer is still inside of you. If you're looking around the church and going, this church has a lot of problems, or my sisters and brothers in Christ don't agree with me, and Lord, you got to go fix them, the energizer is still working to unify you. For the one who effectively works among you, creating both the desire and the drive to promote goodwill is God. And then Paul says, okay, we're back on the road. We got a full tank of gas. We got our Google Maps. And lastly, I'm going to give you some rules of the road. As you get back on the road, Philippians, as you act as a church again, first of all, let's do everything without grumbling or complaining. I feel like growing up in youth group, this little phrase was given to me to just be like, don't like complain in your house, you know, like this mac and cheese is cold. I don't know. I was like, it was taken totally out of context when I was taught about this first when I was younger. Do everything without complaining or grumbling isn't actually about the day-to-day things that annoy you. It's not even about complaining to God like the Israelites used to do all the time. Like, God, why are we here? Why aren't we over there in that cool place? Um, No, it's more about arguing and complaining to one another and about one another. It's very much about the way they're relating to one another. So that word complaining, it actually means murmuring or secret talk. Whisperings about someone, perhaps about their leaders. Selfish complaining. Impatience towards what is not understood in the other person. Grudging unwillingness to be helpful. Unbalanced criticism of one another. All of this being displayed outwardly. Futile arguments that had the capacity to tear the community apart. That's what the complaining and arguing was. And as I read this, as I was studying this, I just, it broke my heart. I thought, that's the church in America right now. I travel around, I see a lot of churches. That's the church in America right now. Grumbling and complaining about secondary issues, and it's causing our light to dim. And it's causing people to walk away from the church. Because they're like, if that's Jesus, I don't know that I want a lot of that Jesus. And that's what was happening to the Philippians. The Philippians were arguing about secondary matters, and it was dividing them and breaking them apart. And so I felt the Holy Spirit say, the question I have for the church, which I felt for myself, so I'm not saying this just for you. The Holy Spirit was saying to me, Aaron, are you one who brings unity to the church or division? Are you one that today is bringing unity to the body of Christ or division? Because the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you is a spirit of unity. It's actually a spirit that brings people together. It's the enemy of our souls that wants to divide the body of Christ. So am I one who works for unity or am I one who causes division? Jesus' final prayer in John 17 says, I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. It was a desire of Jesus that his people, his body would be one. And not just in an individual church Sunday morning service like this, but across across denominations, across cultures, that we might be one. So the rules of the road, stop arguing, Paul says. And then he says, turn on your high beams. 
He's telling them that they are meant to be a force for good in the world, that although they've been arguing, complaining, they have the ability actually to be blameless children of God. Because Jesus is holy and blameless, they can shoot for that. They can believe God can energize or bunny them into these blameless children of God where the culture will look at them and find no fault with them. I think that's the opposite experience we're having today. I think the culture looks at us and finds a lot of fault with the followers of Jesus today. But Paul says, I see where you are, but I can take you somewhere else. That's the work of God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. We can be blameless children of God that shine as lights in a crooked and depraved generation. Knowing God's truth, holding on to that gospel, which is truth and life for us and also truth and life for the world. Do everything without complaining or arguing and turn on those high beams so that you will stand out in the culture like light stands out in darkness, Paul says. So get back on the road, he says, obey and serve each other. You've got a full tank of gas, God's at work in you, and you've got Google Maps to follow. Stop arguing with each other, pursue unity, and turn on your high beams. Be a force for good in the world by reflecting Jesus. I wanna end with this. Sometimes when we go through a scripture like that and we pull out lots of verses, we start to get a little bit lost, so... I kind of wrote it down in everyday language as if Paul was here, what I think Paul would be saying to us as a church. Beloved friends, let's obey Jesus by working at the healing and unity of our community and the larger body of Christ. Don't give up until it's accomplished. This may seem too big, but along the way, we'll discover that we're merely cooperating with God. We'll find that God is already at work among us stimulating our desire for unity, giving us the energy to foster goodwill instead of ill will. Let's curb our grumbling against our leaders and stay away from arguments that generate division. Let's do all of this so whether we're inside the church or outside, no one will be able to find fault with the way we treat one another. And that as blameless children of God, we'll have a lasting impact around the culture around us dispelling evil, hate, and ignorance, even as Super Bowl lights dispel darkness. I had to throw it in there, right? It's a big day. It's a big day. Let's stand and let's pray as we finish. Oh, Jesus, we're so grateful for you, the great energizer. We're so grateful for your spirit and all that comes by grace into our lives through the gospel. And Lord, we acknowledge we're imperfect We're imperfect as a local church. We're imperfect as a global church. And Lord, we need you. We need your ability to love across difference. We need your ability to to love across culture, across ethnicity, across different spiritual stories. Lord, we know you've said they will know, they will know you are mine by the way you love one another. So Jesus, will you help us be lights in the world, lights that dispel darkness by the way that we love one another. And Jesus, where we've gone wrong and where we've lost people to the kingdom because of the way the church has acted, we just ask your forgiveness, Lord. We ask your forgiveness for the places where we haven't been light. And we pray, Father, you would help us to get back on the road together and to keep pursuing your kingdom as one. In Jesus' name, amen.